Hello, this is another podcast from Dean the Bard on Castbox. Leading up to the Women's World Cup this summer, I will be mainly podcasting about football, but there will be frequent podcasts on my channel regarding things that are happening in the world, my thoughts on them, and of course poetry, which is the main reason I started podcasting back in 2010. This podcast in particular is about football. There are two topics to this podcast, the first being the recent rise in attendances at women's games. It's something which has really grabbed my attention. I think there were two games recently. Uh, Juventus, I believe, had a record attendance for a women's game of 39,000. And there was a massive game in Spain recently where Atletico Madrid played Barcelona. And I believe it was just over 60,000 that attended a women's game in La Liga. That's huge. That is really, really massive. And it kind of made me think about crowds here in Sweden. Because... There have been some games where I've been to where the stadiums can hold 30,000 people. Uh, I think Linköping's Arena, which is the team I support, can hold, I believe, 25,000. North Shopping Stadium, I, it held a World Cup semi-final back in 1958. So these Sweden doesn't have small grounds. They have big grounds. But since I've started going to games in Sweden, the crowds have been smaller and smaller each season. And... There are some really passionate fans out there. Lynn Chirping has a, a wonderful set of supporters called the, the Leon Flock. And they literally travel up and down the country, home and away, supporting Lynn Chirping in all weathers. And whilst I've been living in Stockholm for four years, my attendance to Lynn Chirping has been as best as it can be. I think I attended every game except three last season. But it seems like the crowds here are getting smaller. And I've actually started following Chelsea women's football team as well. And for me, the crowds there are getting bigger. They've gone from 2,000, uh, maybe two, three seasons ago, to an average of 5,000 at Kingsmeadow. And I really think that when you look at the crowds in Italy, 39,000, Spain, 61,000. I mean, that isn't going to happen week in, week out. But you can see that the crowds are rising there. And... I think they're rising for a reason, and that is that they're starting to give tickets away. Now, the biggest women's game I've ever attended was the Olympic final in 2012 in London. I think it was 83,000 at Wembley, and it was amazing. But tickets were free. Now, you need to look at it from a football side as well, because they, Linköping, for example, are one of many teams here in Sweden that don't have an endless pot of gold. They don't have millions of, of euros to spend on players and they rely on people buying tickets in order to fund clubs. Now, I'm not sure what the scenario is here, but I kind of think that there has to be a change because I would love to go to a game in Sweden where there's 10,000 watching a women's game. But if you give 10,000 tickets away, the club isn't really going to make enough money. And I think that that needs to be addressed. When you look at football shirts in Sweden, in Damelsvenskan, there's 20 or 30 sponsors uh, on the shirt. And for me, it's like, what, you know, it's crazy. And then you look at uh, the English game uh, for women. Now, they've just had a massive investment by, I think it was Barclays Bank, who are going to be sponsoring the, um, the National League from next season. And they've invested, I think it was 60, I read 60 million euros, which will be split between the clubs. And... I think that the men's team, when you look at them, they have the same sponsors as the women's team. Uh, and I believe that the way that men's and women's football 
can really work together is by supporting each other. Now, obviously there are teams like Linköping City, who are the men's team here, are in like Division 4, I think. But it doesn't really necessarily mean that that's a bad thing, because I think that clubs in Sweden should focus on having one main sponsor. And that really, for me, is the key to getting um, more funding into the teams. Um, it would really give an opportunity to give away tickets and spread the word so crowds get bigger. And the more that the crowds get bigger, the more people spend on food and hot dogs and coffee, which seems to be really popular here in Sweden. Uh, and it really kind of, it, it really needs to start spiraling because the, the way it's working is that women's football in Sweden is suffering massively. The, the players, some of the best players are all playing overseas. If you look at the back four for Linköping back in 2016, you had Jenny Arndt, uh, Jonna Anderson, uh, Jessica Samuelson, and uh, Neela Fisher. They were the back four. Uh, sorry, and Magdalena Eriksson. There was five. If you look at them now, okay, Neela Fisher's coming back in July from Wolfsburg, where she's been for, I think it's three years. Jenny Arndt, Jessica Samuelson are at Arsenal, Magdalena Eriksson, Jonna Anderson are at Chelsea. They've all gone to the English League, and that's purely because, I think, of not only the opportunities, but... It's it's money. I mean, you know, the, these players don't play for free, and I think that, you know, getting a big investment from a Swedish bank or a Swedish, uh, like SVT or something, or you know, is the only real way that the the Damalsvenskin is really going to start growing again and attracting world class players. Some of the players that I remember watching when I first started here back in 2012 was, you know, you had players like Marta and. Lisa Devana and, and, and some of the best players in the world were playing here but it's it's now becoming less and less and I really think that Sweden needs to look at what other countries are doing and start to look at instead of having 20 small investors in a team having one main investor but it's awesome to see that these crowds are getting bigger I mean I'd love to go and see a, a, a game where there's 10,000 uh, in Sweden or England and hopefully that will happen within the next season or two so I'm still going to go to see Linköping play thick and thin, home and away, and even though they were not in the uh, Champions League this year, it's going to be good to see the crowds get bigger, and if that means giving away free tickets, then so be it. Topic two of this podcast is something that I don't really want to talk about, but I have to, and that was racism in, in football. I, I watched the highlights of the uh, Montenegro-England um, game yesterday. I think England were 5-1 winners in the end, but it was totally overshadowed by uh, the Monten a, a very small proportion of the Montenegro fans being racist towards several England players, including Raheem Sterling, Danny Rosen, Callum Hudson-Odoi. I mean, this, this is 2019. I remember going to football games in England when I was six, back in 1980 with my dad, and people were throwing bananas at, at, at you know players of a different race. And... Back then, it, racism was rife, but that was almost 40 years ago, and it it really makes me wonder the mentality of some people when racism still exists in in uh, in football today. It's it's it baffles me when you look at some of the best players in the world. You know, I I when you look at their ethnicity, when you look at where they come from. You know, it, it really confuses me that racism is still around, and I'm, I'm shocked. And listening to the, the the players yesterday, the England players held their heads high with with respect and a maturity way above their years. Um, you know, Hudson Odoi is 18 years old, and 
even though he plays in the top level for Chelsea, to, to experience racism when you're 18 years old on a national football pitch in a qualification game in for a, a major European tournament is, is just ridiculous. And nothing is going to be... I hope that England report um, Montenegro. It's a small percentage of their fans, but the only way that punishment is going to be just is if they ban Montenegro fans from attending their own game. A small minority will ruin it for the masses, but it's the only way that countries can actually learn is that racism is not acceptable in football. It never has been. It never will be. And it just shocks me that 40 years on from seeing it as from a, from a child, it's still happening. I mean, it's, it's madness. And FIFA and the FA and UEFA and all the governing bodies worldwide need to really get together and start stamping this out. And you know, players are being attacked on pitches as well. That's something which is growing. I think there was three in the last couple of weeks, and I touched on that on my previous podcast. But it's madness that this is still happening in 2019. It was disgusting to see. I don't want to see it again, and I really hope that the the weird, stupid, juvenile, racist Montenegro fans are punished. Um, I really don't feel it was the majority of them it was a very small minority from what I could see but reading the reports now even in the press box they were making you know chants at, at the English players the, the press box I mean if that's true these journalists don't deserve to be writing about football they, should, they shouldn't even be watching it ban them and just stamp it out uh, that's about it for this podcast quite a quick one but just giving my thoughts on the women's growing attendances and also racism in football keep an eye out for more podcasts uh, about football and i'll be back podcasting soon